This is recording number 10724 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the first message in the Redirecting Your Future series by Randy Bold. It was recorded on Sunday morning, August 19, 2007. This message is titled, Obedience. If you don't have a Bible, didn't sat down without picking one up from the info table, raise your hand and one of these fine gentlemen will actually bring one to your seat. You may be wondering why we've got the easel set up in, over here. And that's because I've asked uh, Joe Snyder if over the next four weeks as we make our way through this new um, teaching series called Redirecting Your Future, I've asked him to try to um, capture what the lo- what, something of what the Lord does amongst us or says among us over these next few weeks on the canvas. And so from time to time, uh, you'll be seeing him sketching things out or painting uh, things as we go along over the next four weeks. And hopefully at the end of that time, we'll have something that we will permanently hang on the wall around here, uh, a memorial to um, what the Lord uh, does and says uh, among us. Because often, isn't it true that, you know, there's so much of life that just, passes by and we and and we never really capture it It, it's 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 you know it's great for the moment and then it's gone and i just think that there's something about not so much about certainly nothing all that important about what i'm going to say but there's so much importance to what god has said and will continue to say to us through his word that i don't want to just visit it and forget it like the Bible says, I don't want to just look at myself in a mirror and turn away and a moment later forget what I look like. I, when God turns the mirror of his word upon my life, I want to remember what that looks like so that I can cooperate with him in the ways that he is wanting to change and, and redirect my life. So, Anyway, we are beginning, as I said, a new series of teaching, four weeks in the book of Genesis, and the title is Redirecting Your Future. Some time ago, I was uh, in a hurry, as I often am, and I jumped in my car and I was racing off to an appointment, got to the freeway and uh, got on the north on-ramp, and I needed to go south. How many of you know that one wrong move can cause you to get very far from your intended destination? And God uh, is in the business, thankfully, of meeting people who by their own uh, sin, their own foolishness, poor decisions, or the impact of those same kinds of things from other people upon their life find themselves heading towards a future they don't want. They did not intend. God did not intend. You're on the... You, you jumped on the wrong on-ramp and you realize that you're, you're heading to a future that God did not intend for you. God is in the business of redirecting futures. I'm so grateful for that. I don't want to trivialize it by saying this, but God grants divine do-overs. And I am frequently in need of do-overs. But we have a God in heaven. Who, who loves us so much that he wants to encounter us when we find ourselves locked out of the future he intended for us by means of our own um, sin or, or uh, bad decisions and allow us to 
get back on track. So we're going to visit the story of Adam and Eve this morning to begin with. And uh, I'm going to ask you, we're going to read from uh, verse 27 in Genesis chapter 1 through verse 1 of chapter 4. And don't panic, we're not going to read all of those verses, but just a smattering of them. But that's the territory we're going to recover, or excuse me, that we're going to cover. Um, Each of the four weeks as we're engaged in this study, we're going to look at um, one particular future redirecting principle. And today, we're going to be talking about the powerful principle of obedience to redirect a person's future. Now, I don't know about you, but obedience is not a word I generally like. It's not one of my favorite words. And for those of us in America, we, this one is particularly difficult. We are a disobedient people. We started this country in a rebellion. And so when anybody tells me I need to do something, I'm thinking, no, I'm not. <laughs> but there's such a powerful, powerful future redirecting principle to be found within that 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 word, obedience, and I want to invite you to join with me as we explore today. So, chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 27, says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now verse 8 of chapter 2. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16, chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Verse 14 of chapter 3. Now, as we come into ch- uh, chapter or uh, verse 14 of chapter 3, a lot has transpired, but you are so familiar with the story that I'm, I'm skipping the reading of those verses, but this comes at the heels of Adam and Eve disobeying God's command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they have been seduced by the serpent, which was an uh, incarnation of the devil, Satan. He deceived them into um, taking action against, in a, in a disobedient way, against one of the commands of the Lord. So, this is the consequences of that. Verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity, or conflict, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, he, meaning her seed, her seed, the seed of the woman, he shall bruise your head, deal a a death blow, a final blow to you. 
And in the process, he says, you shall bruise his heel. You'll nip at his heel. And we are pretty familiar with uh, the fact that this is a uh, God prophesying the undoing, the, rest the restoration of, um, of the human race, the undoing of the curse of sin. That through the seed of the woman, the Messiah, Jesus was going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And in the process of that crushing of all that, uh, the, the, all that sin has um, wrecked upon uh, the, the world, the universe, and people, that the serpent or the devil would nip at his heel, thus the cross. And so there's consequences that God is spelling out here for Satan's role in the fall of the human race. Now he turns to the woman, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And there's so much here to talk about in all of this passage. Please don't, uh, don't uh, um, let me even begin to deceive you into thinking that we're going to you know, cover every little nuance here. We're not. But I do want you to notice here that there are consequences for sin to womankind. They, um, verse 17, Then to Adam he said, <laughs> If you're listening to this on a recording, uh, an alarm is going off, in, a car alarm is going off in the parking lot, and about half the people have stood to go find out if it's their car. <laughs> um, Verse 17, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the, excuse me, and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. There are consequences both to men and to women, to the human race, consequences, dire consequences to disobedience. When we decide that we, when we decided as a race of people we no longer wanted to be connected to the one who gives us the life, the one who uh, causes everything to be holy and righteous, when we sever that connection and choose to go our own direction, the consequences are severe. And they're spelled out here. So Adam and Eve find themselves heading towards a future they don't want. It's not what they thought it was going to be. They didn't envision when they bit of that apple that they were going to be headed towards this future. But they are. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand... And take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And the sentence trails off. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed a cherubim or an angelic creature at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So God, uh, recognizing that Adam and Eve now are separated from him by sin, but still 
within proximity to the tree of life still have the opportunity to eat of it and, th and therefore settle their eternal destiny apart from God, seal their fate for all eternity. And God says, no, I'm not going to let that happen and banishes them from Eden so they no longer have access to the tree of life so that he could begin a rescue operation, a redirecting of their future. Now, I want you to look at with me at, at some things here. First of all, I want you to see that we as a race were meant for so much more. So much more. We were meant for dominion. Verse 28 of chapter 1 says, dominion. Now, dominion is not just about, you know, thumping your chest or some... some um, you know, what a hottentot or potentate. I love those words. <laughs> but it's about being a master of your life instead of being mastered by life. How many of you ever felt like your um, bank account limits your life? How many of you have ever felt that your employment, your job limits your time? How many of you ever thought your lawn limits your time? I, you know, I just, that stuff grows so fast, I cannot. But we are, as un, under the curse of sin, one of the consequences is that we've lost our dominion. We no longer rule over our lives. Life off, often rules over us. We were meant for so much more. We were meant for partnership with God. When God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and it says that he gave them, gave them the assignment of, of tending to the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just so that they could mow the grass and pull the weeds and kind of keep the bushes trimmed. He was inviting them into a partnership with him in the management of a planet. He intended for us as a people, as a human race, to be partners with him in overseeing the grand scope of his creation. Even employing Adam in the process of, of cataloging all of the, the vast and, um, and creative array of what he had designed. And you get a little picture or a glimpse of the of the pre-fallen state of Adam's intellect that he could be involved in something like that. God intended us for partnership with him. We were meant for eternal life. We were meant to eat of the tree of life. And that, just is, that doesn't mean that we would just live uh, forever in a chronological fashion. You know? That you just wouldn't grow old. At this stage in my life, that sounds pretty darn good. But, you know, it wasn't just that. It meant enjoying the kind of life that God has. When God breathed into that hunk of dirt the breath of life and brought humankind into existence, Adam became a living soul there was something of the life of God imparted to him, eternal life, the Zoe of God. 
we were intended for so much more. But something happened, didn't it? And in a word, what happened was disobedience. Disobedience. Now, God gives two kinds of commands, always. There's only two types of commands. You read the Ten Commandments, they are fallen to these categories too. He gives us things to do. And this all should be fresh in your mind since we just completed a whole... Ten-week series on the Ten Commandments. You know, it, just, it all just got to come back to you right now. Yeah, sure, Pastor. Uh, <clears throat> two types of things, two types of commands God gives. Things to do. Verse 28 of chapter 1, the book of Genesis. God gave Adam and Eve something to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Be intimate, have babies, fill this world with your offspring. Something to do. God's commands are also fall into the category of things not to do. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 17, God gave Adam and Eve something not to do. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Something to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Something not to do. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's commands are always one or the other. You may be saying to yourself, duh, well, trust me, this is an important thing to remember. That's why I'm spending so much time on it. Now, disobeying God always is unrecoverable. When I do something that God has said <clears throat> I should not do, I can't undo it. I can't take it back. And disobeying God is also always, always, always consequential. That means it has consequences. Sometimes we think, well, it's just, be, you know, it's just between me and God, you know. Nobody else is going to know. It's not going to hurt anybody else. You know, I can ask God's forgiveness. We'll work this out some way. No, 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 no. Disobeying God, doing what he has told us not to do, or failing to do what he has told us to do, always has consequences. And consequences far beyond my life, my own life. And touches other people every time I disobey God. It impacts other people. It's never just me. And those consequences are always severe, and they always cause my life to begin to head towards a future I don't really want. I get one time, I, you know, it says here that uh, when God... Uh, uh, banished Adam and Eve from the, from the garden so that they could no longer have access to the tree of uh, life, eat that, and be sealed in their, in their uh, lost condition for eternity. When he banished them and set a guard over the Garden of Eden, they found themselves on the outside looking in on what should have been, what could have been. Have you ever, maybe some of you right now feel this way, 
But, but have you ever had those kinds of times when you felt like you were on the outside looking in on what you dreamed your life would be? When you look, when you're standing on the outside looking in on what you believe God wanted your life to be. Have you ever had those kinds of experiences? I certainly have. And Adam and Eve found themselves there. Their disobedience is always consequential. But God's uh, locking them out of Eden was not, remember, it wasn't a disciplinary action. It was the way that he began, actually, the recovery process. I remember one time I was um, in a hurry again, jumped in my car and took off. This time, on my way to my appointment, which I was late for, I remembered I had, this will never happen to you guys, I'm sure, but I was on my way to an appointment I was already late for and remembered I needed to, to run an errand. And it was on the way to my appointment. So I thought, well, I'll just stop in there, run into the place, get, I don't remember what it was exactly, get my laundry or whatever, and get back in my car and continue on to, the, to my appointment. And on the way there, I'm thinking, you know, how can I do this as quickly as possible? I know what I'll do. I'll get there, and I'll just leave the car running. I'll get out, and I'll run inside and get what I have to do, get back in and go. And I won't have to spend the time stopping, starting, you know, all that stuff, right? And then this alarm goes off inside of me and says, no, 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 no. You never leave the keys in a car, right? And, I, and so then I do this thing in my mind where I think, yeah, but why is that? Why is it that we never leave the keys in the car? Well, it's because somebody could come in and steal the car if the keys are in the car, right? Well, that isn't going to happen now because I'd just be right inside this little store. I can see out the window. If anybody tried to steal the car, I'd be on them like, you know. Nobody's business. So that isn't going to happen. And I, and I figured out a way to dissuade myself from paying attention to all the alarms that were going off internally. I worked out a scenario in my mind where it was okay for me to leave the car running out in front of the establishment. Have you ever had that happen to you? You find yourself pointed towards uh, or, or beginning to consider taking some action, and your spiritual alarms go off. No, 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 don't do that. And then you go through this whole thing of giving yourself permission, figuring out a reason why it's really okay for you to do it. And you know what? We're very good at that, and we can almost always win that argument. So here I am. I get to the place. I leave the keys in the car, jump out. I'm running in, and just as the door slams shut, I realize I've locked the door. And now truly, I'm on the outside looking in on what should have been. And my car's sitting there running with nobody in it, and I don't have a way to get in the car. What I didn't think about when I went through all this machinations in my mind was the scenario that I could get out of the car and lock the door, and it would still be running. I didn't even consider that. Listen, God has considered all the options. And when His Word says, don't do this, he has considered all of the things that aren't even on your radar. They're not even part of the scope of your consciousness. And when you start to tell yourself, oh, well, that's okay. I can, you know, I can do this. It'll be, you know, God meant that for somebody else, some other situations. But I've got this. Un Don't kid yourself. There are consequences for disobedience. But 
God is a gracious redeemer. God is a gracious redeemer. And he is ready to restore. We see here right at the, very, at the scene of the crime, you know, he is um, uh, dealing with the serpent, with Eve and with Adam and spelling out the consequences for what's going to happen. But in the midst of describing the consequences of their disobedience, he begins to declare how he's going to make a way for recovery. And listen, God... Whatever, however far off course you think you've gotten. And I know what it feels like to, to think, man, there's just, you don't know. I've, you don't know. I, I'm so far from my, what I believe God's destiny for my life. I've gotten so far off. I can't get back. I mean, the best I could hope for is, you know, maybe some sort of compromise. God is able to crush the head of the serpent and bring to nothing the strategies for your ruination that he is always at work trying to accomplish. We have a God who's ready to restore. He's ready. And one of the most important ways that he does that is by keeping the door of obedience open. Now, go back to what I was talking about, things to do, things not to do. When we have done what we should not have done, when we have disobeyed God with regard to something he said not to do, it's unrecoverable, we can't undo it. But there, were, there, are, all, there are always, there's always something that he has said to do still available. God gave Adam and Eve two commands. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They did that. They couldn't undo it, and there were consequences of it. But there's another command, isn't there? Chapter 1, verse 20, 28, there's one more command, something to do. Be fruitful and multiply. So read with me. Chapter 4, verse 1, just the first part. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. Whenever you find yourself locked out of what your life should be, staring in on, you know, what could have been, when you find yourself headed towards a future you don't want and you know God doesn't want for you because of your disobedience to Him. Start to look for what remains that you can obey of His commands towards you. There is always something. Because when you do, you put into God's hands the thing that He can use to redeem you. If Adam and Eve are not intimate, if they don't fulfill the command to do something, there is no Messiah. Jesus does not come. There is no redemption. But they do. Now, you might be saying, well, how hard could that have been? 
Well, I want you to think about something. Obeying God is always difficult. It's always difficult. Put yourself in, put yourself in Eve's shoes. Now, that's sort of hard to do if you're a man, but put yourself in Eve's, Eve's shoes. No one has ever had a baby before. And all she knows is that God has told her, this is going to hurt. That's all she knows. If you are a mother here today, undoubtedly you compared notes with somebody along the way to find out if you would survive this thing. And that gave you some measure of comfort, right? Eve didn't have that. There's no book she could go read about. Nobody, you know, no video she could watch. I honestly, I can't imagine the courage that it took for her to obey God in this way. There's no guarantee she's even going to survive this process. But she does. Think about Adam. You know, Adam, uh, all of a sudden, he's had everything that he's needed, all of his needs supplied for him without effort. And now... God has said, every morsel of food that you eat, you are going to sweat for. You're going to have to fight with the very ground you're standing on to eat. And everything in nature is going to work against you. No longer is it going to work for you. It's going to work against you. There's going to be thorns and thistles and bugs and weeds and drought. And Adam has no idea, there's no history, there's, he has no, cons, no way to conceive how challenging this future is going to be. And the concept of adding another mouth to feed to that equation cannot be a pleasant thought. Obeying God is always difficult. Don't count out how tough this was for them to do. But obeying God is always pleasurable. Why? Because you, it brings to your soul a sense, a deep sense of rightness. Especially when you've disobeyed God and you're reaping the consequences of that disobedience. You, you know how devastating that can be. And to do something right for a change. Even if it's small, you scour the, this, the pages of this book and you find something God has commanded you to do and you, you decide, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And when you do, oh, the pleasure of that. So deep. So rewarding. And obeying God is always powerful in the same way. And Adam and Eve, obeying God on this occasion, gave God, put into God's hands, that which he could use to redeem them and the race. In the same way, every time we obey God, every time we obey God, we put into his hands that which he can use to redeem us. It's powerful. I have a friend who, uh, many years ago, <clears throat> was a very fruitful um, Successful, you could say, pastor. Pastored a large church. They had just completed a big, you know, huge building program and all this stuff. He was very prominent in the community. 
And then one thing led to another, to another, to another. He had an affair and wiped out, lost his family, lost his church. He was headed towards a future he didn't want. He was headed towards a future God did not want for him to have. He was, on, he was locked out of his future, standing on the outside, looking in on what should have been, reaping the consequences of having done something God said he should not do. But you know what? I'm so proud of him. Because what he did is he started, when he came to himself, you know, he finally realized how far off course he'd gotten. He began to just search the scriptures and say, you know, anything in here it says to do, I'm going to do it. Anything. I mean anything. One of the, in this book, there's a passage that says, Neglect not the assembling of yourselves together. Like we're doing here this morning. doesn't sound like a big deal, right? Hang out with Christian people. It's something God says to do. How hard can that be? You, know, you just show up on Sunday morning, sit there, and be with Christian people. That can't be a hard thing to do. Well, picture my friend. Still living in the same town where he's known everywhere. Everybody knows he's the minister who had an affair, wiped out, lost his church. The embarrassment of that, the shame of that. But he said, you know what? I need to put into God's hands that which he can use to redeem me. I'm going to obey that. He started to attend a church where he was known. The pastor knew him, knew all about him. Everybody there did. But he, he started to just hang out there week after week after week. The Bible says that if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel. He read that in this book and he said, you know what, I'm going to do that. And the guy who had never done anything in his life except be a, a professional clergyman took a job on a delivery truck delivering stuff to 7-Eleven, you know, loaves of bread and candy bars and stuff. So he could pay child support for his kids. Just every day, day after day, just looking in this book, what is there that I can do? I've done what I shouldn't have, and it's sent me on a course I don't want to go. What remains of God's commands that I can do? And every day, day after day, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put into God's hands what he can use to redeem my life. It's many, many years later now, and he's not, um, he's not in professional or vocational ministry, but he's been a faithful church man for many, many years now. He's remarried to a wonderful woman. I got, had the privilege of, of officiating at that wedding. In fact, in the past year, he was part of a church planting team, and they went out and started a new congregation, and he uh, is part of the, he coaches the worship team there. Although he probably will never return to, you know, ordained or licensed ministry, uh, he, is a, he is a very fruitful Christian man. God is faithful and able to redeem and restore us. But we need to put into his hands that which he can use to do it, and that is our obedience. So stand with me as we close. I want to pray, and I, but more than, than that, I want to ask you 
to think about your own life, and undoubtedly you probably already have, as I've been rattling on here for half an hour or so. And I want you to be thinking about the things that God has, the things that God has said to you, to do. Instead of worrying about the things that you have done that you shouldn't, begin to think about what remains of what God has commanded you to do that you can. Don't hesitate. Run. Don't walk. Find that thing and do it. Do it now. Place into God's hands what he can use to redeem and restore and recover.